I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we sit down with Monica Fozzie Bryant. She is the COO of Triage Cancer and is a cancer rights attorney. This week, we dive into the world of healthcare law. Let's talk about it. We are joined by Monica Bryant today. Uh, it's just me and Tay. Bry's out of town, uh, which is good. It gets rid of the riffraff. You know, we can stay focused. Yeah. We don't have to, Brian doesn't have to turn this into a therapy session. That's it's right. nice. Because um, uh, <laughs> we're speaking well, about. I mean, Brian's not going to turn it into a therapy session. He's going he's gonna to turn it into a, a fucking like law, like counsel, like some sort of, some sort of law. Yeah. Counseling. Counseling. Just counseling. Je- Brian's just super into counseling in general. God's sakes. Anything counsel related. <laughs> so we're joined by Monica, who is the uh, COO of Triage Cancer. And is a cancer rights attorney with a focus on healthcare and disability law, which is very interesting because we've never really gone down this road before of talking from talking about healthcare, but from a legal perspective. And to be honest with you, Monica, I, I, I'll, I'll throw it to you to introduce yourself. Um, but uh, before I do, I just want to say I've never even really thought about law from a perspective specific from like a specific cancer perspective um so so i'm sure we'll dive into it but before we do monica please introduce yourself to our listeners give us a little bit of insight into who you are well first of all thanks so much for having me you've probably never done this session because usually law isn't all that funny so there's that (laughs) uh but i am a cancer rights attorney and co-founder and chief operating officer of a nonprofit here in the states called triage cancer and we try to provide education on all of the legal and practical things that come up after a serious medical diagnosis like cancer. Uh, and, you know, we often get asked, well, what's legal about cancer? And the answer is actually almost everything. So mm. we do a lot of talking about things that often don't get talked about in doctor's offices. Mm, interesting. And- I'm, I'm dying to know about this because, again, like this is, yeah, I, I've, it never even crossed my mind that there's the thing that the thing that the thing the only thing that jumps to my mind like immediately when i think about when i think about law and healthcare is um is like physician malpractice sure, that's right. like kind of the that's that kind sense. of the one thing that sticks out to me but beyond that i i, I yeah i don't know like my mind doesn't really stray to like any other yeah. any other place maybe Although, be- before obviously we, there is lots maybe before we get into it monica you could give us like a, a little bit of insight into your background how how did you become you know what was the what was your origin story to go down this route of law specifically? Well, like all good origin stories, it was definitely not linear. Uh, there was a lot of shifting and moving. So uh, both of my parents are oncology healthcare professionals, and I swore I wasn't going to go into medicine. I was <laughs> going to be a lawyer. 
Uh, and here we are many, many years later. So uh, after law school, I worked in the U.S. Congress, loved kind of being in the thick of it, seeing how laws got created and the back and forth and the discussion of it all. Uh, but then really realized that most general citizens didn't really realize how much power they had with respect to shaping the law. Hmm. And so personal reasons left, made me leave D.C. and uh, in the middle of a recession, not a great time for a lawyer to try to find a new job. Uh, and my sister, uh, Joanna, who is also the co-founder of Triage Cancer with me, was doing similar work in a different capacity. And she kind of got me really interested in this concept of empowering or providing tools to people who are sometimes in the sort of worst moment of their lives in this mm. diagnosis, uh, trying to get through treatment, trying to navigate all the different pieces. We actually had the ability to give some of those people some tools where they could then use the information and the tools that we're giving them to make the right decisions for them and ultimately end up in a better place. And so uh, here we are, Triage Cancer was founded in 2012, we're 11 years old as an organization, uh, and sadly, the need only seems to be growing. I, I actually love the way that you put that right at the end there, because it's something that kind of like stands out to me in terms of like every charity and nonprofit that really exists. It's kind of like, sadly, we exist, you know, like sadly, sadly, we're growing. <laughs> you know? 100%. Yeah. Joanna and I always say we wish we could put ourselves out of business. Like we wish there wasn't a need for triage cancer. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't I don't see that happening anytime soon. So we are delighted mm. that we could be here to try to help as many people as we can. Mm. It is one of those things where, you know, in a lot of in not just cancer, but in a lot of in a, in a, in a lot of diagnoses of, of, what, of whatever it might be, is that you, you people receive this news of you know, a, a serious, a very serious thing in their life and a potentially life-threatening thing like cancer. And it's sort of this moment where you, in, in a perfect world, when you receive something like that is, that is life, that can be life-altering, you'd want to have like all of your faculties about you to be able to tackle that situation. And just by the very nature of it, you're basically robbed of, of so many of them um, because you are launched into... Uh, you know, a, a state of mind that you've probably never occupied before, which is, you know, you're facing your mortality and you, you know, there's your mind is spinning and you can't think straight. Um, so when, when, when I think, when I mentioned before, like when I think of, um, when I think of law and I think of healthcare, my, my mind goes to physician malpractice, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing by the nature of this conversation that there's like, you know, like a, a whole under the water icebergs worth of Ooh. stuff that, um, that I have not considered. What are what are the things uh, that are associated with like healthcare and law or ca or cancer and all the like legal um, considerations that are need to be? Taken, can I can I take place? a guess? Can I stat like you just saying that? I was I was I, there was one thing that came up there where I went, oh, maybe this is something that Monica would do. What about like employment? issues when someone gets diagnosed with cancer? Right. So That's it's a like great guess. I have breast cancer, and the and and you know they're boss or their company goes, okay, well then a huge, we're going to fire you. <laughs> a, a huge, a huge issue because you're, right. you're sitting there one, you're sitting there thinking I've got this thing that's going to impact my entire life 
and it's and I and I might be seen as a as like a detriment to my employer right. because of this. And they're not going to say it outright that they can't that they're that I'm getting fired or that I'm losing my job because of, or my job is affected because of yeah. this diagnosis. But you know, maybe they'll find some other reason Loophole to or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. would that be any? Well, you you definitely get a cookie for the first right guess of the yes. day. Um, employment is uh, probably the second most common topic that we talk about. Okay. Uh, and certainly it could be about that sort of discrimination piece around, am I going to get fired, whether they say it's related to my cancer or my diagnosis or not. Uh, but a lot of times it's about, well, I want to keep working or I need to keep working, mm. right? Most of us need, you know, we work because we also need to, not just because we maybe want to. Uh, so what is available to help me stay at work? Um, in the United States, we have a federal law called the Americans with Disabilities Act, right, that provides things like reasonable accommodations, which are changes to allow people to keep working through treatment. Uh, and maybe it's about I need to take time off. Well, I will say Canada does a slightly better job in protecting employees providing paid leave uh, as compared to the states, but not really. I mean, I think in Canada, you only get 10 days of paid leave. Most, yeah, marginally most, better at best. <laughs> yeah, marginally better. I mean, we get zero in the States, so there's that. Uh, but most diagnoses need more than 10 days off of work. So what's available to protect somebody uh, if they need to take time off? Of course, there are some other laws. And where it gets really tricky is it could depend on the state you live in. It could depend on the size of your employer. It could depend on how long you've been working there. And these are really in the weeds things that most average citizens don't really know about or mm -hmm. don't feel like they need to know about until there's a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier, yeah, you get this diagnosis, right? And it's overwhelming and there's so much to learn and there's so much to figure out about the medical condition and the treatment plan and mortality potentially. Now you really want me to learn about employment law? Like yeah. that's that's not high on my priority list. But unfortunately, it needs to be because if people don't understand what rights and options they have, they may make decisions like disclosing their diagnosis, for example, that they may regret later on. And so really, that's where the name of the organization comes from. Triage is that we try to give people enough information so that they can decide, well, what needs to be dealt with right now? What decisions need to be made right now? And what can maybe wait until later, mm -hmm. which is, in fact, the very, de very definition of triage. So what is it? So we we've talked a lot about disclosure in over the over the past several years in almost especially all, in the last couple of days, considering the UFO disclosure thing that's coming up in, in, in about a week. But anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, Jerry's very excited about this. I haven't really haven't heard the end of it. Um, spent about an hour of my day yesterday talking about aliens. Um, and uh, <laughs> where was I going with that? Sorry, disclosure. Um, we've spent we've spent a lot of time talking about disclosure and and almost exclusively in the context of of having a d disease and disclosing it to like a partner um, mm. or, or like to, to potential partners. And when you're in, when you're dating, dating. and everything like that, you, that's usually the context in which we're speaking about, but it, it's, it's in the context of a relationship w of which an employee employer relationship is, is one of those. And like, what are your, uh, you know, what are somebody's thoughts and feelings around how they talk about it and when they talk about it, and when the time is right and what the kind of the pros and cons are and uh, things like that. So, in terms of disclosure to an employer, what does that, what does that look like? You know, is there, is there, you know, 
flat out no responsibility on the on the part of an individual to ever disclose to somebody that they are dealing with a cancer diagnosis. I would imagine that they have that right to just never disclose it. But what would be some of the advantages and disadvantages of disclosing a, a you know a serious illness like cancer to an employer? Well, first of all, I have to say there's no one size fits all, right? There right. are some people who can't imagine <laughs> not disclosing everything and anything because that is who they are as a human. Yeah. And there's that's okay, right? It is a very personal choice. When we talk about disclosure, what we really want people to understand is that it is a choice. And I think especially at a time when someone's dealing with a diagnosis like cancer, uh, but really this can be extrapolated to any serious medical condition, a lot of control is taken away, right? Like a lot of times you don't necessarily have all the control you might want to have. And disclosure is a place where people can start to regain some of that control. And so for me, the message is really think through the pros and cons, which I'll talk about in just a second, and then make really conscious, clear decisions, and then recognize that it could change, right? You could say, I'm newly diagnosed. I don't know how I feel about it right now. So I'm going to keep things closer to the best. And then in 10 years, you're like, well, this is a thing that I'm going to keep dealing with. I don't mind talking about it now. And so that, I think that's an important distinction is that it's not a necessarily a black or white, I do or I don't, Mm -hmm. um, and that your decisions can change over time. When it comes to the employment arena, I think that it again is going to be really situationally specific. So it might be different for someone who's worked at the same company for the last 25 years and has no plans of going anywhere else versus someone who's maybe newly job searching, they're just out of college and they're looking for their first jobs, right? Like, so those decisions could depend on where someone is in life too. I think that unfortunately we have some data that shows us that people that disclose serious medical conditions are less likely to get hired. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have a causational uh, you know, proof that the reason they didn't get hired is because they disclosed. Yeah. However, we know that they are less likely to get hired. I think it's also about talking about when you're going to disclose. So you mentioned relationships and dating. And I think, you know, that's a that's a pretty common analogy that's used in the cancer community. Are you going to tell the person on the first date, like all the things about yourself? No, probably not. Same with maybe job interviews. Maybe on the first interview isn't the time mm. you need to spill all the beans, Right. Um, so I think that there's just a lot of thought that can go into it. And we have lots of resources on our website for people who are interested in doing a deeper dive into this. But in the States, generally, you don't have to disclose your medical condition to an employer. You might have to disclose some information if you're trying to access some of those legal protections, like the reasonable accommodations I mentioned, because employers do have a right to know or to double check that you are entitled to the legal benefits you're asking for. Sure. But that disclosure might not need to be all the details, and it might not need to be the specifics about the diagnosis. For example, there are some people with certain types of cancer that they might not feel comfortable talking about in the workplace. I talk to um, a lot of younger men who don't really feel comfortable talking about the fact that they've been diagnosed with testicular cancer at work. That's just Mm. a thing they don't really want to be talking about at work but they need access to certain benefits. So then it's like, well, what is the need for the medical leader? What's the need for the accommodation? Is it really the cancer or is it the nausea you're dealing with from treatment or the fatigue you're dealing with or the brain fog? Because then you can talk about those things to the employer, which really could be a result of all sorts of different things. Right, yeah. 
So here you're being totally honest. You're not lying. You're not hiding things, but you're disclosing enough so that you're getting access to the tool. And that's really where I think triage cancer and what we're doing is unique in that we're not just saying this is the law. We're really trying to help people figure out how to use the law and access the benefits that they need in a practical way. Mm-hmm. There's a, it really reminds me of um, <clears throat> like I had a my wife was pregnant um, was looking for a job when she was literally she was, was became pregnant uh, like two years ago and and I remember that that was like a huge and she is the type of person that's like I'll tell you I'll tell you anything and everything like she, that's just her that's just her constitution and and she felt extremely conflicted about having learned that she was pregnant, but not wanting to say that to any of the, anybody she was interviewing with, because she was like, well, I'm, 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 you know, too well aware of like how that will be, you know, under the surface discriminate, it can be discriminatory. And, and, and she really, really emotionally struggled with the fact that, that she knew that she would take a job and then, quite soon after taking the job reveal to the employer that she was pregnant and like feeling like, Oh, now they're going to think this of me. And, and because, you know, I withheld it and they're going to know that because I'm X amount of months pregnant. And you know, what does that look like when I come back to work? And is there like retaliation? I mean, there's so many things to think about and, and like knowing having us having, having a resource like triage cancer, um, being, being there to kind of, to, to let you know that the, the, the range and the spectrum of decisions that are okay to make that you can consider, mm. um, and that you have the right to make, I think would, would, would be extremely beneficial in, in maybe not eliminating all of that, you know, suffering that is caused by yeah. that, but, but, but at least alleviating some of it and helping you feel better about, you know, making, tr- making really challenging choices. Because again, it's like, it's, these choices are just a small sliver of the plethora of choices that you have to be thinking about in order to like tackle this thing that is going to undoubtedly change your life for the rest of your life. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's already overwhelming as it is and scary. And, and, you know, it's like, it's a, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a, it's a nightmare to be a part of. And so to be, to be flooded with so many things to think about. Um, you know, I, 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 it's thank God there's people out there doing this kind of work of, of providing these types of resources. Now we we've, I feel like we've covered the, the employment thing pretty, pretty well. Like I have a, a general sense of what, what's kind of, what kinds of things people have to think about. Um, can I take a stab at another thing that maybe like maybe, um, uh, uh, triage cancer could could like step in and and offer some some help to you want another cookie i do he's hungry <laughs> health insurance so maybe like maybe someone has um is like uh appealing like a like an insurance denial or something like that is there and and i guess like does that directly tie into the employment stuff or is that a whole other sort of avenue disclosure we're talking from a Canadian perspective here. That's right. We really know right. nothing about health That's insurance. That's right. That's right. Very <laughs> different in the U.S. 
Uh, it is very different in the U.S. and it is very complicated in the U.S. Um, and it is the number one issue we talk to people about. Number one. Okay. So, right. Okay. Number so you were one. saying employment was like probably number two. Health insurance yep. is number one. A hundred percent. Because okay. It's, okay. It's really, uh, you somebody's health insurance status is going to impact their access to diagnosis. So do they have access to health insurance? Are they getting screened for all sorts of things? I mean, we, we are a cancer organization, but as I mentioned earlier, all the things we talk about are really applicable to anyone dealing with any serious diagnosis. So if you don't have health insurance in this country, you're probably not getting screened for anything. You're probably not getting vaccinations that you should be getting. It is going to impact your access to care if you are diagnosed. It's also going to impact your financial situation. So there's a concept called financial toxicity that is uh, very prevalent both in the United States and in Canada after a cancer diagnosis. And really, it speaks to the fact that the financial impact of a diagnosis is sometimes just as significant as the physical impact of mm -hmm. cancer treatment. Uh, and health insurance status is absolutely directly tied to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we talk to people about health insurance, it's often around, well, what are your different options? Because in the United States, we have three places, really, that you're going to get health insurance. It's either through the government, uh, it's going to be through an employer-based plan, or it's someone who goes directly to a health insurance company to purchase health insurance. And what, it, what the coverage is like, what it's going to cost you, uh, what your rights are, are all different depending on where you're getting your health insurance. So it is incredibly complicated in this country. Uh, perhaps intentionally. Uh, it's also incredibly political, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking to people about health insurance, we're up against a lot of barriers. So basic understanding. 96% uh, of Americans don't understand the four most common terms or words that are used. Wow. 96? 96% yeah. of Americans. Jesus so if you don't understand the words... Yeah. How can you possibly effectively choose a plan or use a plan? Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. It's crazy because I thought that I didn't understand American health insurance. Because I was Canadian. I was like, I was almost like, I, I was like, I was, I, I just imagine that the reason that I don't get it is because I don't live there and I'm not, I'm just not exposed to it. And so like, that's why I don't understand it. Um, but really you're, you're, what you're saying is it's, it's like, no, like one, no, no, one, it. no, no one gets it. Yeah, right. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a huge problem. Uh, there have certainly been efforts to try to change that, but again, it, it's up against a lot of barriers, right? So our system is definitely a for-profit system, which isn't inherently bad, but it does add to the complexity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's gotten more and more political over the years, which again adds to the complexity of it all. And we're trying to explain this incredibly complicated thing to people at a time 
when they've got all these other things on top yeah. of it. Yeah. 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 It's in it's incredibly, incredibly complicated and convoluted. Like I, and I and it makes me think about like the like when you said that when you said about uh, what was the term that you used um financial toxicity was that it yeah like when you said that it's something that affects Canadians and Americans both and like I kind of I start to think about because there are it's so easy to think from the Canadian perspective that like because we have a national um because we have nationalized healthcare and universal healthcare that like that that just Scraps. solves all the problems yeah like yeah exactly yeah. and and i and like i know that that isn't that that isn't the case um and i know that health insurance is like one aspect to that in terms of like something that you know an american versus a canadian has to deal with one has to deal with and one and one doesn't but then like all the downstream effects um and costs of of what it means to live with an illness that requires like constant care mm. and, um, and, and, you know, in trying to fight it is there's so many, there's so many, um, aspects to it that are really hard to wrap, really hard to wrap your head around. I mean, we've spent eight years talking about cancer and I, and I, and, and like to, it, it is, it is not lost on me the fact the, how fascinating it is that we can still sit down eight years after have uh, eight years after recording our first episode on this podcast and learn something new mm. about the cancer world that I've never heard before. Yeah, I, I do. You have any <clears throat> like? Are there any examples of of legal cases that have like like standout legal cases that have improved the rights of people that are are dealing with whatever, any kind of chronic illness, I guess, when it comes to like their rights and law and, you know, like any sort of like standout cases that, that you go, Oh yes, this was a, this was like a massive win for, for people that are in this kind of situation. Well, I think certainly without a doubt in my mind, the patient protection and affordable care act passing in the United States, otherwise known as Obamacare, Mm. um, was huge. It was huge for really anyone with a serious medical diagnosis. And the primary reason, I mean, there's lots of things that were in it, but the primary reason is prior to 2014, if someone had any sort of diagnosis, and I mean like any diagnosis, it could be MS, it could be cancer, it could be severe acne, they could be barred from buying health insurance in this country. So many of these things are no fault of the individual who's been diagnosed with them. And yet, once you're diagnosed, you can't get health insurance, which means, as I alluded to earlier, you can't get care and you're going to end up in financial ruin. Mm. The Affordable Care Act or Obamacare changed that and said, as of 2014, insurance companies can no longer deny someone just because they have a pre-existing condition. And that is just simply game changing Mm. for people in this country. Um, and I think what's really sad about it, uh, not to get overly political, but to get what's really sad about it is here we are 10 years later, 13 years later, uh, after the passage of the law and people still don't know that in this country. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's like, I mean, there's, again, there's no shortage of things that are being revisited and, um, and revised and revoked in terms of, um, you know, longstanding laws that have existed in the United States, but it, 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 it can blow your mind that there's like, that it's like, you kind of think that like this thing happens 
And then, you know, oh man, think about where we'll be in 10 years. And it's like, exactly. Mm. It's like exactly at the same starting point that we were the day that the law, the, the law came into effect. Like we, we haven't moved an inch. We've just been like, we've just been, you know, both sides have just dug their heels in and we've stayed in the same place. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating from that perspective. I will say, though, not to totally be Debbie Downer, it is fantastic when we talk to someone and they say, well, now that I've been diagnosed, like what I have to stay at my job because how else am I going to get health insurance? And we get to say, actually, mm. that's not true anymore. And here's mm -hmm. why. And here are your different options. Uh, that feels incredible to get to do. And given that I did this work, you know, my career was sort of split in half with ACA. So for the first half of my career, it was like, yeah, you're right. You do have to stay at, at your job. Like that's mm. the only way you're going to be able to keep your health insurance, whether, whether you can work or not, you have to versus now, well, you might actually have some different options. And so mm. there's definitely good things that have come out of it, but it does sort of feel, um, it's a very steep hill. We're pushing right. that yeah. boulder up. That, that is a good, that is, it, it, I think it is good to, it is good to mention the good things um, and, <laughs> and, and to make sure that they're known. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have a, we have a fairly large American, American audience and, um, and, and, and even, and even for our Canadian audiences, audience, I know that like that, you know, America, well, America is a country that, that everybody pays attention to in, in, in a lot of ways. And I know that our, our, our audience being healthcare oriented, um, I know that there's an interest in, in terms of like what the U S does and like where, where the U S is going with that. And my understanding of my understanding of the affordable care act is, is, is that it was sort of like a, meant to be a stepping stone towards a universal healthcare system. Um, and like, you know, we, you couldn't just go from what, 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 what you had to universal healthcare to a universal system like we have in Canada. And there needed to be, there needed to be steps along the way. And, a, and a, the affordable care act was supposed to be that. Um, so A, I guess, is that, is that, is that correct? And B, you know, what does, like, what does a universal healthcare system look like in the United States? Do you think, like, is that something that you have thought about? You know, does it, what might the earliest form of that look like if it were to come to pass? You know, I think that there are really different schools of thought around was the ACA meant to be a stepping stone towards universal health care. I think it really depends on who you ask. Um, I think we've been talking about universal health care in this country in various forms and shapes for decades. This is not, you know, I always laugh like every election cycle it comes up as, a, as if it is this new concept and mm. it is obviously not. Uh, we are recycling old ideas, which is not necessarily bad because sometimes it just needs to be right for the mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I don't know that it's necessarily the magic pill either, because we have pieces of that in this country when we talk about Medicaid or Medicare, where there is supposed to be a ton of equity in that. Right. And it is universal. If you meet certain standards, this is universal coverage. And we're still seeing huge disparities in that as well. So I sort of uh, day to day, I mean, I obviously have my dreams. If I could pull a lever, what it, what would it look like? Uh, but I think day to day, really, where we try to sit is how do we help people best operate and navigate the system we have? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certainly, we advocate for improvements. There's all sorts of places where things can be improved and made better. But in the meantime, people are sick. Yeah. People need help now. 
And so how do we help them? How do we give them the tools so that they can navigate all the different pieces? And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking and we've really only scratched the surface of the topics that we help people navigate. And so I think it's just indicative of the fact that it's really complicated and there's no two second, 30 second soundbite that's going to kind of wrap it all up neatly. I am. I, I know that um, we have, you know, in terms of like the people that listen to this podcast, there are quite a few people that are in healthcare directly that listen, you know, physicians, nurses, researchers, that type of thing. And we, we've talked a lot over the years about like patient advocacy and the importance of advocating for yourself, but also through those conversations, we oftentimes hear people kind of expressing, well, also here's some things that like you could do as a nurse or you could do as an oncologist to sort of ease the, you know, the burden that your patient is feeling in this way or that way or what have you. Um, and I know it's not an oncologist job to like sit down with their patient and go, Hey, by the way, here's all the like legal issues that you might want to think about or consider going, you know, now that we're about to like go into a treatment of chemo for the next, you know, several weeks or whatever. But I do think that there is room to at least inform the patients of like, hey, here are some things you might want to consider or think about um, in, you know, that, that pertain to this experience that you're having outside of, outside of, you know, uh, the drugs that we're going to be slamming you with to try to take care of this issue. Um, so do you have any, do you have any like thoughts or, or I guess like advice for healthcare professionals that might be listening to this right now in how they can support patients when it comes to the sort of like legal rights side of things or the things that maybe they could offer or say to their patients to even just like spark that, that inspiration to, to, you know, look for certain avenues of resources that they might not be even thinking about? I mean, I have lots of thoughts and I think it starts with challenging the premise that it's not the oncologist's job. Okay. Because there is a pretty solid school of thought that really comes down from the Institute of Medicine that we should be treating the whole patient. And the whole patient includes things that aren't just dealt with in the doctor's office, including things like employment and finances and family life and medical decision making and estate planning. Those are all things that really speak to somebody's whole being. And so mm. while I don't necessarily expect the oncologist to become a legal expert, much like as a lawyer, I am not a medical expert. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a responsibility to bring it up. And to your mm -hmm. point, it doesn't even have to necessarily be all the details, but I would settle at this moment for even a simple, hey, here's some things to think about, and here are some organizations that you could go to for more information. Mm. Oftentimes, when we talk with oncologists or hematologists or surgeons, you know, they're sympathetic and they appreciate that, you know, they should be talking to patients potentially, if I get a if I really get a good one, but then they say, but you know what, we have social workers for that, or we have nurses or navigators that we refer that our patients talk to and, our, and they handle all that stuff. But the challenge with that is 
it's a misconception that every patient is going to have access to a nurse or a social worker or a navigator, right? There is a wide disparity of where people are receiving treatment for things like cancer. And so I hate the assumption that like, oh, the social worker will handle it. Now, I think social workers are, you know, they walk on water as far as I'm concerned, as do nurses in terms of the role that they play in the healthcare system. Mm. But it's just not fair to put it all on them. Uh, it really should be a discussion. Now, I will say at Triage Cancer, we do a couple trainings specifically for healthcare professionals about these topics because we're hoping, again, not make them legal experts, but we're hoping that we can give them enough knowledge so that they can do something we call in law school. It's called issue spotting, right? Like you hear a whole story and out of that story, you can be like, huh, that's a legal issue. That's a legal issue. That's a legal issue. There might be things that can help you. And so I absolutely think it, it is imperative that healthcare teams recognize that there are conversations that have to be had that aren't just about medicine mm. and that to potentially even consider these other things more like they would side effects, right? If someone comes in and says, I'm dealing with severe nausea, a healthcare team is going to try to address that. If someone comes in and says, I'm super stressed out because I think I'm going to get fired, the healthcare team should address that. And again, it may not be with a specific legal information, but at least it should be something around, here's a resource, here's some information, here's where you can go. Mm -hmm. um, and we've tried to create lots of tools at Triage Cancer to help healthcare teams. We have a, a checklist to avoiding financial toxicity, and it basically has a whole bunch of questions on it. And those questions are things that a healthcare team could actually start with. Do you have questions about working mm -hmm. through treatment? Are you concerned about potentially taking time off? Do you have a will or an advanced healthcare directive if, if in fact it gets to the point where you can't make medical decisions? And so I think it's just about sort of empowering the healthcare team to ask the questions and not be so afraid of the idea that they might not have all the answers, but to recognize that there are resources out there and that they could provide referrals to those resources to help people get the right answers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's like, it, there's so many things that like pop into my mind when we have this conversation, just like, you know, whenever we, whenever we talk about the, whenever we talk about the healthcare and like the system as like this overall thing and like places where we can, like it, it I, I think about a, I think about a gigantic Jenga tower that is like 10,000 feet tall and that I'm at the, I'm at the bottom and I'm like, Hey, this looks like the piece that I should take out, but I can only see like up 1% of the entire tower. And I don't know what's been taken out or what, like mm -hmm. where the structure is failing at another place. And and I have no idea if this decision is like going to positively or negatively impact the entire structure. And like, and I just feel like that's happening at like a thousand different segments in this, in this tower being the healthcare system. Like how does this one decision that I think would help actually like, where, could it actually be just like the thing that breaks the whole thing down and, and everything. And when, when I hear the thing about the doctors, like it's, 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 it's incredible to me how, how two people can do the same job and you can just have such a different experience. Like mm. I, you know, I know that our, our host that's not with us today, Brian, you know, he had a family doctor for years that he was basically like, I basically don't have a family doctor. Like I go to see him and like, I just, mm -hmm. I, it's like, I might as well have just, I might as well have just gone to Google. 
And my experience with my family doctor is like nothing short of incredible. And I feel like they see me and like I, they have all the time in the world for me and they're not checking their watch to get me out of the room because they only have so much, so much time and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And those people are doing the exact same job and they're employed technically by the government. Um, and, and, and yet it gets the experiences delivered in a totally different way. And in one sense, like I'm, I'm sure there are doctors out there that are, that are, that are going, Hey, uh, I'm, I am cognizant that this thing is impacting your entire life. And like, here's some things that you might want to consider. And I think it is as simple as that. Like it's going, here's some things you might want to consider like X, Y, Z, um, which, which might be a really good reason for it maybe being, uh, implemented as some type of like structural change. Um, but I imagine the devil's advocate uh, argument to that is, uh, I, have you, like, do you ever hear a doctor? I'm sure you do. I've ever heard somebody just go, how am I supposed to think about that when I'm thinking about like the way cancer, you know, proliferates throughout the body? Totally. And, and I really, I really agree with you. I think that there are incredible healthcare providers out there that are going the extra mile. I think it should just be to your point, a systemic change where it becomes the norm and not the exception. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think especially in the States, and I would guess it's probably the same in Canada, is that there's too many patients and there's not enough time. And there's a pressure to see as many as possible, to get the billing in, you know, can't have people waiting too long for appointments, all the things. So I certainly recognize that there are sort of external pressures on the providers. But at the same time, when we look at it on the back end, it's like, okay, well, potentially you've cured somebody's cancer, but they've lost their jobs, they've lost their homes, their life's in ruin, and they have a terrible quality of life. Mm. That's not great either, Mm -hmm. right? And so there has to be some sort of balancing act where we're not just looking at sort of this financial, emotional impact at the end, where it's like, oh, someone's now a survivor and here's where they are, but that it's more of a, at a starting point. Um, and that it's treated the same way we treat other sorts of side effects by addressing them. Mm-hmm. It, it, man, it's such, it's, it is such a, it is such a complex issue. Like I really do, I really do admire your, your, your work and, and like, like anybody's work in the, that like works in that, in that sphere. Cause it is, it seems like every answer brings up five questions mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and that is a never ending like web of, of like what the next thing that needs mm. to be the next problem that needs to be solved. Well, speaking of like answers to those questions, um, how can people find triage cancer? And also I, I, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, maybe this goes without saying, but just in case anybody's out there listening to this um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like triage cancer is providing free education uh, yeah. you know, I, like we're talking to a lawyer, uh, but I, I don't want people to go, yeah, but I can't, like, I can't even afford the fucking healthcare. So how can I afford going to some website and hiring a lawyer to give me education? Um, so hundred percent, that <laughs> problem is why triage cancer was created. There we go. Uh, you know, yes, everything that triage cancer provides is free of charge and really anybody is welcome. Um, we are one of the only national organizations that's providing this education for free. And the other piece about it is I would say like 95% of the time, people don't actually need a lawyer. They just need the information and they need it presented to them in a way that they can understand it. Mm -hmm. And that is really what we're doing. About 
5% of the time they do actually need a lawyer and we'll help try to connect someone potentially to a lawyer. But the education piece is totally free. I will also just say, because I know you have a very mixed audience, that over the years of doing this, organizations and other disease states have come to us and said, well, this doesn't exist in our community. Like, will you come speak to our conference or whatever? The answer is always yes. Like, we don't want to hide the ball. The information is the same information. And so we recently launched a platform called Triage Health. It's a program of our organization, but what we're hoping it does is it gives sort of an invitation to people who are dealing with other serious diagnoses, not cancer, uh, to come and use the information. So it is sort of not disease specific in any sort of way. And all of that can be found on our website, which is just triagecancer.org. Amazing. Yeah, that's really awesome. Because like there's, yeah, I mean, there's an added degree, again, because we're coming from the Canadian perspective, um, there's a, a, a at least in my at least in my mind there's an added level of complexity when it comes to um, living in the United States and dealing with um, dealing with um, being sick, um, but there is complexity. There's complexity no matter where no matter where you're living and having and a, a lot of the issues us. aren't. Yeah, I mean they're not all that different, and so mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. when we talk about other things like the employment piece or the estate planning piece. I mean. I would venture to guess it's probably pretty similar in Canada that not enough Canadians have their estate plans in Mm -hmm. place. And it isn't until someone has a serious diagnosis that they start to think about those pieces, which gets even harder. Mm, Totally. Versus Mm -hmm. my opinion is everyone over the age of 18 should have an estate plan in place because we are, none of us are promised tomorrow. It's one of those things that uh, it's one of those things that when you look back on what you learned in school, you sort of go, well, what? the fuck like why weren't we talking about this Mm -hmm. because you you know because like talking about death to a bunch of 16 year olds is probably considered in some in some way like a form of abuse and it's like like this is something that everybody needs to know everybody needs to think about spoiler alert we're all going there at some point like let's talk about estate planning let's talk about taxes the abuse is avoiding it yeah exactly setting you You up for for failure like how do you like how does a mortgage how does a mortgage work there's so many things that we don't address so no lie we say all i mean i probably say it once a week there should be a class in high school on health insurance and finances including estate planning right like i I wrote a check the other day and my kids were like what is that that's not money (laughs) yeah Right. And it's I mean, obviously, they're little and the world has changed, but it's so true that there's all these things that were never really taught. And there's, in my opinion, a whole lot of nonsense that we're taught in high school that isn't Mm -hmm. actually all that useful, Mm. uh, that they sort of miss the ball. And so we actually do a, a session called Adulting 101. And it's sort of all the things that I wish I was taught as Mm -hmm. I entered the world, like what's a 401k, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like what's a retirement plan and what's a mortgage and what's an interest rate and what's a credit score. And these are all things that we have to understand and navigate. And unfortunately, by the time people get to us, they're trying to navigate all these things for the first time, plus the diagnosis. Yeah. Well, that's a brilliant, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. That's a brilliant idea. I mean, she's just, an interest rate, man. If you don't understand interest rate, that's tough. Mm-hmm. You're looking at a lot of stuff and wondering why you're paying so much money. How many kids open up their first credit card on a college yeah. campus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And yeah. just spend it all on nipple piercings and booze. 
Yeah. That was that was me. <laughs> I was like, sounds like we're getting <laughs> sounds a, very specific. Sounds like here. we're getting a very personal experience. <laughs> that nipple piercing at a twenty four percent interest rate. <laughs> God, just like my credit card. <laughs> Monica, um, I, I this has been a really fascinating and interesting conversation. I'm, I'm really glad we had the opportunity to kind of dive into it because, again, it's not something we've really touched on, but it is it is incredibly important. And, and I mean, it's one thing to open our eyes up to it, but to open up someone's eyes who maybe just recently received a cancer diagnosis or um, or knows someone close to them who has is going through that is um, just just you know we're just eternally grateful that you took time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us about this um again folks if you are listening and you're interested in checking out any of the resources available triagecancer.org is the place to go um monica thank you so much this has been a real treat well thank you guys i appreciate the opportunity that is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.